0: Okay, last month we watched a video called Monumental where um, Kirk Cameron traveled around the world and, and investigated why the pilgrims left Europe and all the persecution they went through and came to America. It's a really great movie. We're not going to watch the whole thing because you should have come on movie night, but <laughs> I want to show you a little clip of it because there's one part that's about this monument that was built in New England and it was, I think it's probably my favorite part of the video and the and it was basically put there as a, a symbol of reminder of of why of how liberty works, of why people came over to in to spread the gospel and to spread freedom. Because there's no nation in the world that's ever had the kind of freedom that we've had for the period. I mean, we were the first country in the world to actually have a government of the people that was a self-run. System, and so they put up a monument that said, "This is how we did it. This is why we did it." So I want you—I've got some some things that I've that churned up in my own head that I wanted to share about it, but I want you to see this little clip before I do.
1: Now, when uh, the children of Israel going into the promised land, they crossed the Jordan River, and God stood it on in, and they walked across. And before the waters stopped parting, God told them to take twelve stones from the bottom of the river and put it up on the top of Mount Gilgal and make a monument so that when your children ask what are these stones you will be able, you'll be able to tell them this is where God parted the sea and that's what the pilgrims left us they left us a monument that not only gives tribute to what was accomplished here but it gives us a specific strategy a breakout of a blueprint of if we would ever forget what made America great what made us free we can go back and follow that strategy and it's right up on a hill a half mile from here Right here? Right here. It's 180 tons of solid granite. It's the largest granite monument in America. And it's hidden on a hilltop overlooking Plymouth in a residential neighborhood. I've never heard of this. Hardly anybody in America knows about it. And yet the people of America put this together over a 70-year period, paid for by the Congress, paid for by the state legislature in Massachusetts, as a strategy laid out. We call it the matrix of liberty that was given to us by the forefathers, by the pilgrims. And they, those 130 years ago when they built this, wanted to leave this behind for us. So that if we would ever forget how liberty is built, we would know what to do to regain it. This is how they did it. This is how they did it. Now, if somebody else wants to try another way, which is what's happening today in America, we're trying a thousand ways to turn america around but this is the way it was done okay. this is it the only successful strategy of liberty that has ever been carried out in the history of mankind well, let's walk through it and yeah, yeah wh- let's wh- wh- take this strategy apart what does this mean what are they trying to tell us wh- wh- here wh- so where do you where do you well, start her name is faith it says so right there and she is pointing her finger to heaven why For God is. For God is, because her faith is in the God of the Bible, in Jesus Christ. They knew that the only faith that could bring true liberty was a faith in the one true God and his Bible. And you see a Bible there, an open Bible. It's a Geneva Bible. (laughs) The pages are opened up, which meant that they read it, and as they read it, and as they had faith in God, he gave them wisdom. That's why you see the star on her forehead. She's given wisdom to know how to live in this world. And all of the rest of these statues, each one weighing almost 20 tons, is tied to faith because without faith, it falls apart. And that's the beginning of it all. Where do we go from there? From from here, You need to go to character or morality, and you'll notice... Because that's the internal liberty. That is the internal liberty, which is the beginning of all freedom. She is called morality. Notice that she has no eyes. That is on purpose because she's looking internal, internal character, the transformation of the heart first, and then that brings external transformation. And notice that she has the Ten Commandments in her left hand and the Scroll of Revelation in the right. What would that signify? Vinyl, exactly that if you want to have morality there has to be a standard and more than that there has to be an internal transformation this is speaking of the need to internalize and allow God to change
2: our hearts and our minds first because from in, Eng- in England you had top-down morality imposed on people do this do that you're moralizing people but you're saying their morality started in the heart In the heart. It had to be changed here. They realized.
1: Inside. Just because you said you were a member of a church, like the Church of England, didn't make you a Christian. And you see this over on the side. The side statues give an explanation of what the meaning of this is for us. That's why we need the evangelist. You see the evangel here writing down the gospels. And there's a need for evangelists. Why? Because we need to have the gospel.
2: The gospel of the great liberating gospel of Christ that says he came to set us free. First. So this is completely contrary to the way the rest of the world had done it up to this point. The, 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 the pilgrims are saying that morality starts internally with the gospel. The evangelist has to preach the message that transforms the heart. And then you want to do what's right rather than being forced to do what's right from the king who tells you what good and bad is. That's it. Okay, what's next? What's next is, and you see the development of it, if you
1: want to have a free civilization, you need to have a civil authority or civil law that will give a base for that freedom in other words you've you've got to have some degree of order in society and that order as you see here is built upon law the principles of god's law then are related into the civil law and that's what we see here in, in his left hand we also see his hand his right hand is extended in mercy mercy toward those that that he's dealing justice with why because this form of law has a degree of equity in it. You see this in the side statues. where... It, Can we go see? Yeah, yeah. Justice. She's holding the scales of justice with justice and equity, which, which means that, you know, when a crime is committed, it should be uh, cared for in terms of its punishment. The same for the rich and for the poor and for everyone else. There should be equality under the law. On the other side, we notice that this form of law is different than the laws of so many nations that are built on tyrants, that are built on, if the Aztecs wanted to cut your heart out, they just cut your heart out. Here, mercy, mercy built upon the base that he offers us mercy and grace uh, along with law. And in this form of law, there is
2: that uh, tremendous mercy. So you have to start with faith, faith in the true God that produces the internal morality of the heart, you have a standard by which to uh, to judge what good and bad is, and then you create a moral system of law to have a basis for a free and just society that can mete out justice when crimes are committed, but also extend mercy to people and and show them grace. And then that gives you the freedom. Once you have a society that's built like this, now
1: you have a civility in society, now you can educate your children. Here they could train them and you see the lady here in the statue of education and she is opening the Word of God or the Book of Knowledge and she has got the wreath of victory she's wearing, about a 25 year old woman. She is educating her children, and she is sitting in victory. Why is she sitting in victory? Because she has trained her children up in the way they should go and prepared them so that the next generation that came after them would know the strategy of how to carry on the truth and carry on a free civilization. Isn't that amazing?
2: And and what's on
1: her side over here? Over here, you see her training her child, and she has... Uh, a book in her one hand and then he has a scroll where he is writing on the other and this is youth trained in their youth it was the parent's responsibility to educate and so this would be the mother training up
2: a child in the way he should go you know what I think is interesting is that it they had just left England and left this this top-down government system. So when they got here, their idea of education wasn't send your kids off to a, uh, a government school to educate them. Uh, it was the parents' responsibility to do this, particularly because their worldview was different than the government's worldview, which would have been, no, you're a nobody, you're a slave, you just lay down on your back and do whatever the king says, which is sort of the attitude that we get in most governments today is that you just do whatever the government says, whereas they're saying, no, it's our responsibility as parents to educate our kids and to teach them faith and internal morality and to understand the importance of fair, just, and merciful laws.
1: And it's passed down from generation to generation. And if you see on the other side, you'll see how the grandfathers played a role. For it's not just the father. Of course, the father and the mother are the key educators but the key is the hoary heads those are the older ones who also have a role because you see the guy with the beard here he's the old guy and what do you see his left hand pointing to
2: uh there's a book and it looks like you've got the ten commandments again
1: ten commandments in an open bible okay and so he being older and wiser he knows the commandments he knows the word of god and then he is pointing to that and then on the other side what do you see of him That's the world. The world, right. So he is teaching the younger generation, both his daughter and his grandchildren, how the world works from a biblical perspective. And all of this leads to something, Kirk. And that's, you see the strategy building from the internal to the external, to the law, to education, to pass it on to the next generation. And what are they passing on? They're passing on liberty. And this is what... Is the result of living out that strategy in his name. His name is Liberty. We call him Liberty Man. Look at this guy; he's a, a Liberty stone. Hero. Now, this guy is not a guy you want to mess with, right? And he's, uh, he's seated
2: in liberty. Okay. Explain who this guy is. Liberty Man. Liberty Man, oh, the liberty hero
1: that he represents, is the fruit. He is the result of obeying the matrix of liberty that you see on this monument. And he is seated in liberty. Now, I want you to be careful to notice these details. Notice that he's holding broken chains in his left hand. Notice that he has where the chains were, bound to his legs. Notice that that he is now seated in liberty. He's got that good look on his face like, listen, I'm free, but I'm looking out, defending my liberty, but I'm free. And notice the claw that is on his right shoulder. That claw relates to a skin that goes around to the left here, and you see a lion's head, an entire lion skin. That ultimately represented the lion of the English tyrant back in those days. So he so he has slain the lion. He's slain the lion, and that's what it says here on the left. Tyranny is defeated, and you see Liberty Man standing over tyranny with his foot on the chest of tyranny. He's holding tyranny down. And again, the pilgrims won this victory without violence of any kind except living out God's principles. <laughs>
2: You know, one of the things that's striking me is the fact that this is talking about our forefathers, the pilgrims, but this guy is not some wimpish little religious guy. I mean, this guy is a stud, right? Yeah. He's strong. He's yeah. looking out. He has just defeated a beast, and he's got a sword in his hand. That's right. And he's here to protect, right? That's right. He's here to protect his family and to defend the, the, the laws that they have made and ultimately to defend their values and their character, their faith. Exactly, exactly. And it shows
1: you that if you do it right, you can be strong as an individual. You can defend liberty. And if need be, you can fight. You don't want to fight, but if you have to, you're ready. But the point is, because you've done it God's way, there is a long-term blessing that goes with it. This is awesome. This is it. <laughs> this is it. So, Kirk, this is that recipe. This is that that strategy, that matrix that was... What built America? This is it. And if we want to try something else, yeah, people can try other things. But in the history of the world, the one strategy that has brought more liberty, more prosperity, and more joy than any other is this strategy. Why
0: would you go anywhere else? Pretty neat, huh? They've got the whole plan laid out there in a big statue. And it's called Faith the woman on top is uh, her name is faith and the reason that faith in the one true god is the only way to liberty is because god is the one who invented the universe god is the one who endowed us with liberty he we were built to live in freedom that's what our declaration of independence does that that god is the one who made us god is the one who gave us liberty that's why we have the right to live in freedom and Galatians 5.1, the scripture for today, it says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. So what are we set free from? From slavery to sin and death. And that's why Jesus came, He died on the cross as atonement for our sins and offered us salvation if we repent, turn away from that sin and break those chains of bondage through His power and find freedom. And he says we've been set free for freedom's sake. We were designed to be free, so stand firm in it, live in it, hold on to it, and don't be subject again to the yoke of slavery. And, and trying to maintain a way of life apart from God, whether it's a religious of some sort or political, it ultimately always results in failure. Be- failure, Because without God, society has no real foundation." For for morality, for law, for for anything, and so it always, without God, society always devolves into a system of slaves and masters. It always goes that way, and that's whether it's it's on purpose or accidental. Whether some power steps in, like the Nazis who try to force everybody else their way, or whether it's it's like you know the French when they had their revolution. It was a godless revolution, and so it just it devolved into chaos, and there was so much blood and so much strife, and and. The next verse in Galatians 5, verse 2 says, Listen, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you at all. And they were arguing about what the Jewish law said. you got to be circumcised. And they were saying, as a Christian, you, you don't have to be circumcised. That's not the point. In verse 3 he says, And I testify again to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be declared righteous by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit by faith we wait expectantly for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither the circumcision nor uncircumcision carries any weight. The only thing that matters is faith working through love. And so they were arguing about the points of the ceremonial law that didn't apply to anything to do with your heart. They say you can cut off pieces of your body. It doesn't make you righteous inside. You can follow dietary laws and dress laws and things like that. It doesn't change your heart inside. And what's important is your heart because law without God ultimately doesn't help anybody unless you're transformed on the inside and willing to live out your, your morality, internal morality like they were talking about. It doesn't help you. It doesn't help society because it, it, it either it degenerates into immorality and, and ultimately tyranny of, of whoever has the most power or the, you know, either it's it's one person who's a single ruler who comes in with strength and rules everybody else like a king or a, a you know tyrant or whatever, or a political majority without moral restraint. So a democracy of the mob mentality that who however whoever whichever group has the most people gets to decide what everybody else has to do, and both of those systems without God are are just wrecks. They're ruinous for for any society, and that's why faith the the statue she had the star of wisdom that star represented wisdom on her head and proverbs nine ten says the beginning of wisdom is fear of the lord and acknowledging the holy one is understanding so you want wisdom you connect yourself to god because he's the source of wisdom he's the one who helps us to think and helps us to know and he's the one who has the knowledge to give us and so that next little stat, that next statue on the side was morality And of course, it's Christian morality. There are lots of moral systems. But the only one that really does any good is is Christian morality. That's why um, she was holding the Ten Commandments in one hand and the Scroll of Revelation in the other. And that doesn't just represent the Bible. Obviously, it represents the Bible. But but it it also signifies that there's a directive that those who wish to live in freedom either live by faith and, and control yourself or you wind up under somebody else's control. You either choose to be self-controlled and live according to Christian morality, or you come under judgment. Specifically, God's judgment, ultimately. That that God judges the wicked. No society can last without real morality. Without a a citizenship of people who choose to live good lives. If your society chooses they're not going to live according to a code, then society falls apart. So you've got to have people who are self-controlled, and that's what Christianity is all about. We choose to live according to God's precepts. We choose to live according to God's will. We volunteer that we want to be good people, we want to have a good effect on society, we want to make the world a better place, we want to have good families and good governments and good schools, we want to be good, and that's that's a voluntary process. And Galatians, if you skip down to the to the um, in chapter five down to verse twenty two it talks about what comes out of people who choose to live God's way. And it's the fruit of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also behave in accordance with the Spirit so that moral that internal morality is not just some ethereal thing that exists without evidence it comes out in real life practices of that produce all this good stuff that there's peace and love and joy and patience and and self-control and people who are true christians they put away all the wickedness they stop doing all the evil and they start living by the spirit and, and 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 they know you know people know the choice is to either continue to live in sin or to turn to Jesus and trust in him so that true believers receive grace and they can they can find renewal and forgiveness and be made into new creations and and choose to live in righteousness through God's grace and that's our choice you live in your sin and rebellion or you live for God and and according to his spirit and that's why John Jay who was the first chief justice of the Supreme Court and he said that providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers and it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of our christian nation to select and prefer christians for their rulers and that's because he said the people in charge you want them to to voluntarily choose to do good things to be good people to to when they make decisions for the, the people they represent, or the, you know, whether it's president or congress or whatever, that you want people who are going to be thinking mor- morally, voluntarily choosing to do the right thing. And if you don't elect those kind of people, everything's going to fall apart because they're going to be thinking of their self-interest and what they want rather than what who they represent wants. And so if you are not self-controlled, if you don't have that internal morality... According to biblical standards, then you are living by a human standard, and all human standards are fallible. They all fall apart. You need a. If you're driving a car, you want a real steering wheel. You don't want a fake steering wheel. You want something that you can really control the car with. So, if you are, if you want a society that's controlled and and lawful, you want people who have real moral compasses that have a foundation. That They know why they believe what they believe and why they live the way they live. And and all non-Christian societies are destined ultimately to crumble. And that's just the way, of and history's shown that. In Galatians um, 5, back at verse 16, it says, But I say, this is Paul again, but I say, live by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh has desires that are opposed to the Spirit, and the Spirit has desires that are opposed to the flesh. For these are in opposition to each other so that you cannot do what you want. So everybody has to choose for themselves whether to live for God by His Spirit, through His power, or for themselves by their own flesh and their own power. And, and if you've ever read Revelation, it's pretty clear that, uh, that, you know, she was holding the scroll of Revelation, that no matter how nice things may look on the surface, you know how there are plenty of nice people in the world who aren't Christians, who do good things and, you know, they give to various charities and they help old ladies across the street and that kind of stuff. But um, no matter how things look on the surface, Jesus is coming to judge sin and, and He's going to separate people. He, so even if some people seem to get away with murder in this world, the, anyone who chooses to keep their sin will face judgment ultimately. And And since all real freedom can only be found in morality, then in order to preserve liberty for the righteous, in order to protect His kingdom from, from destruction, God cannot allow wicked people to be a part of His kingdom. So He has to separate the evil, the sinful, the people who, who refuse to stop their sin, He has to cast them out so that the people who do choose to live according to righteousness will be protected And because everyone who lives in God's kingdoms are voluntarily good people. And so God has to cast out the people who refuse to voluntarily be good people. In uh, in verse 19 in Galatians 5, it says, Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, depravity, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish rivalries, dissensions, factions, envying, murder, drunkenness, carousing, and similar things, I am warning you, as I had warned you before, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it's just a—it's it, clear, if you're not willing to live according to God's law, you can't stay in His kingdom. And that's why there's a hell and a heaven. Morality, and the, have those little side statues, of course, includes evangelism. The whole reason that we have the good news of Jesus is so that we can share it. I mean, if we're saved by it, you'd you, you think you want to share that with other people. Jesus lived His life to teach His followers and He told them when He left, He said, now I want you guys to go teach everybody else. He said, pass it on. Send it to the next person and, and teach the rest of the world to obey My commands so that the whole world will know how to find forgiveness and new life and restoration and, and be able to live in freedom. And knowing what Jesus has done for us, knowing what Jesus has done for sinners who are willing to repent, to restore us, to give us new life, to turn us around, knowing that, how much do you have to hate your neighbor to disobey God and not be willing to share the gospel with them? Not be willing to spread the good news that saved your own life. I mean, that's, that's a pretty selfish thing. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through, what it, through the preached word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we got to take the Word of God and give it to other people because God was kind enough to give it to us and He's offered it to everybody so we need to be willing to share that And through the Gideons passing out Scriptures. That's another way to do that. Um, the next statue was law and law is supposed to equal order in society and, and really the ideal society doesn't need any law. Because everyone in in an ideal society would be self-controlled, living by the Spirit instead of the flesh. So they would voluntarily, they would be doing good. And nobody would do evil because that's an ideal society. But in this world, there are selfish people and there are evil people who, who will lie and cheat and steal and kill to serve themselves. And so a system of law is needed to motivate people to avoid bad behavior. And that's where justice comes into play. Justice not only needs to be meted out fairly to all people regardless of, of you know, where they come from or wealth or status or that kind of stuff, but it also needs to be able to deal with evil. The, the purpose of real justice is to preserve society, to protect the, the good people. Those people who, who, are, who choose to do immoral things that do harm to others and damage society those people need to be motivated to change. And so you might, in a justice system, you might use anything from from a fine to to prison to even execution depending on the the person's crime and their willingness to correct their behavior. But the purpose of justice is to motivate people to change. Of course, justice can never really be reached technically. You know, if, if somebody murders somebody, you can't restore that murdered person by executing the criminal. I mean, it, it deal, you know it stops them from committing more crimes but it doesn't bring the other person back to life and so there's we're looking for a, a way to motivate people to not be bad in the first place to, to prevent them from ever doing crimes and and the best way to do that is to have that internal change to have people who volunteer to not want to commit crimes and and so there's this balance you know justice needs to be able to deal with 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 evil, you might think that Jesus dying on the cross for and then just forgiving people is not very just. It's not. It's certainly not fair. But what makes it righteous is that forgiveness is only given to those who are willing to cooperate with the judge. And it's almost like you've been you've been caught in a capital offense. When you sin, you know, God knows it, you've been caught in a capital offense. You deserve death, you deserve to be cast into hell. You've been declared guilty and your sentence is death. But the judge is willing to completely pardon your crime if you're willing to completely change your attitude about the about crime, become a part of the judge's family and live in his household and live your life in a completely new way. That's kind of what God does. He says, you know, that's not justice. That's mercy. And so you've got this, this balance between justice and mercy, because the ultimate goal is to change the criminals into good people, to, to stop crime from the inside out. And so instead of just killing everybody, God gives us an opportunity to change. He says, Listen, I'm going to give you a chance. You're going to have a whole new fresh start if you'll change your repent, change your minds about the sin you've been doing. And you can be part of my. I'll, I'll show you how to do it, I'll walk you through it step by step. Not only will I teach you through my own example, Jesus Christ but I will put my spirit inside of you so that you'll have me living in you to direct you and guide you and empower you to live how you're called to live and so the judge says I will forgive you if you will become mine live in my household live by my power." I mean it's an amazing deal so it's this great balance between justice and mercy that that God has given us and and obviously that's you know that would be pretty difficult for an earthly judge to do because an earthly judge can't see the heart of a criminal. They can't see inside somebody to see if they're really willing to, to turn from their crimes. But the, the closest thing we have to, to that in our system is things like probation or or parole, where people are given a chance to try again and, and to to give one more chance to live in society lawfully to see if you can do it. But Jesus can see what's in our hearts. He knows exactly what's going on in our hearts and minds and if we're willing to repent and put an end to a life of sin then he's willing to forgive us and give us a, a new life and help us to live as brand new people, as translation. So, so a good system of law is this is this balance between justice and mercy. We try to model as much as we can after God's system, and and of course you need wise and moral judges who are able to make good decisions, who can tell when somebody needs to to have you know to be let off with a warning, you know to be given a little mercy. Or to have the book thrown at them because they see that they're unwilling to change and repent. And of course, laws need to be based on a godly foundation because without godly laws, what's the point? And otherwise, you'll wind up with a system where it doesn't really matter what you're guilty of, but all that really matters is whether you have you know enough money or power to manipulate the system to work in your favor. And you can see some of that in our own you know, in the places in our own justice system where there is a lack of wisdom and a lack of morality and, and, a, and a lot of bad things going on. That's why God is the ultimate judge. And God will ultimately separate good and evil people on Judgment Day. People whose lives show that they're willing to live righteously and, and to produce the fruit of the Spirit. He can see in our hearts and know if, we're, if we've got that. That those people can be trusted to join society in heaven without, you know, and be a permanent part of God's kingdom without fear of damaging that kingdom because those people are, they desire to live good. And people whose lives show that they are unwilling to stop sinning will be thrown into hell so that they will not continue to damage God's eternal kingdom through their selfish immorality and rebellion. And then you've got education Deuteronomy 6. Um, at 6 through 9 says these words i am commanding you today that must be kept in your mind and you must teach them to your children and speak of them as you sit in your house and as you walk along the road and as you lie down as you get up you should tie them as a reminder on your forearm and fasten them as a symbol on your forehead inscribe them on the door frames of your houses and gates so god said i've given you the law do everything you can to remember it and pass it down to your kids and and, and talk about it over and over and over again make sure it's a part of you that's what the those pillars that they took the rocks out of the river you talked about and set them up so when your kids ask about these you tell them it's about what god did for us and his law and and that statue that we looked at there's a reminder it's about what god has called us to the way he's called us to live i think i think we'll be learning forever i think we'll still be learning in heaven for eternity we, we will obviously see things more clearly when we get to heaven but uh We are not God, and so I think God will have things that He can teach us forever and ever and ever. And so we'll never have a point where we know it all, that we can't learn and grow. But the difference between heavenly education and earthly education is that everybody in heaven will already be willing to put into effect the good things that they learn, because they've demonstrated that on earth. You know, God teaches us something good. We want that. We go that way. And there are plenty of people in the world now who are willingly ignorant. It doesn't matter how much you you tell them the truth or how how much evidence you show them, they will refuse to accept the truth, refuse to repent, refuse to submit their lives to God. And that's the the difference between heaven education and earthly education. And that's why it's so important that you, you know, the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go and when he grows old, he will not depart from it. Some people have the wisdom to understand that what and how you teach your children today has a direct effect on the world tomorrow. And so it's vital that we guard the heart and minds of our children against evil influences and, and, and instead train them in righteousness and in wisdom and in critical thinking. The reason that our national education system is not doing so hot these days is because we've stripped it of godly morality. We've stripped it of we've tried to teach kids that education is really just memorizing trivia for tests. You know, you just read you just learn these facts and figures and, and be willing to parrot them back the way we tell you to. And and instead of, of learning how to investigate things, they're just supposed to fill out bubbles on tests. But we need to teach kids how to investigate for themselves, how to incorporate useful knowledge and skills into who they are so that the, their lives so and teach them morality so that their lives can be lived and all that education can be put to use to to make them better people and to make the world a better place around us and the the final statue was liberty and a lot of americans these days have this idea that that their freedom is won by sending soldiers into the middle east to fight some war that they really don't know anything about, don't care that much about. But the soldiers in Iraq and Afghanistan and all those places, they aren't really fighting for your personal freedom. The The conflicts in all those Middle Eastern nations these days have a lot more to do with oil and money and various political entanglements than they do with things like life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness in our own country. The Most of the soldiers over there are, are trying to do what they can for good you know they're trying to stop bad people from doing bad things and trying to help good people you know if they can tell who is who which is the hard to do in a completely foreign culture but a lot of them have no idea what went on in washington dc that got them shipped over there to put their lives on the line to you know to sacrifice their limbs and their lives for their commander-in-chief they they don't know what's going on in Washington or in the Congress or in the White House and 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 it's kind of scary to think because as incompetent as Congress and the White House seem these days it keeps you know they keep revealing when it comes to things like like national health care or or our own border security that they can't handle those things back here at home so you can guess the kind of problems that those poor soldiers are running into overseas when they have to deal with the with similar kinds of problems in, in foreign borders so far from our own country that most Americans have a hard time finding it on a map. I mean it's if we can't handle things at home, why are we trying to reorganize countries in other places? And it's kind of scary to think about. And and anyway, the, the point is that true liberty is not won by soldiers. True liberty is found by applying the things we've been talking about this morning, when you combine Christian morality and Christian laws and Christian education, that's how you find true freedom in Jesus. You live the life that God designed you to live in freedom, in faith, self-controlled, self-motivated, to live righteously. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free and that's what we're called to do. And until Jesus returns, there will always be tyrants. There will always be war and strife and conflict and suffering. But if we live our lives for God, then regardless of what kind of political system we might be in, or you know, what kind of power we might live under at the time, regardless of any of that, we can find freedom in Christ doesn't matter if you live under a tyrannical king or if you live in a free democracy. If you live your life according to the way God has told us to live our lives, you will have freedom from the inside out. And if we obey the command of our Lord to preach His good news and spread the gospel around the world, then entire societies will begin to transform, begin to trust in God, and, and whole nations can be blessed with freedom and prosperity like so much of early American history. That was the point. The pilgrims came to spread the gospel to a new land. Because they knew if you get the gospel going in a whole nation, the whole nation will be blessed. The whole nation will be prosperous. And that's more important than who you vote for. I mean, it's important who you vote for. But more important for that is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ because that, more than anything else in the world, can transform a nation. I mean, that's what transforms individuals and ultimately transforms a nation. And if you do that, then you will find blessings as a nation. I, I think today we are we are enjoying the crumbs of freedom left over in the bottom of the bag of Americans' heritage, godly heritage. Imagine how good things could be if we made so many disciples, like we're called to go and make disciples, if we made so many disciples for Christ that the country voluntarily started putting Jesus Christ back into public education, started electing only moral Christian leaders and representatives and government officials. If, if you thought we were successful as a nation, like during the industrial age when America was the top of the world, uh, I mean, we still have a lot of benefits and blessings left over from, from this, but imagine the impact that we could make on the world with the technology and the advancements that we have today if the, if the entire country was trusting in God and living as a Christian nation. the point is until Jesus comes back you know he's going to come back and he's going to put things in order with an iron rod until that happens if you want to see things get better in your own home, if you want to see things get better in in the, in the state in the country in the world then do what God has called us to do. pray without ceasing Live by the power of the Holy Spirit voluntarily, in truth, in righteousness. Share the good news of Jesus Christ with everybody that you can. Whether that's talking to somebody, whether that's supporting the Gideons to spread Bibles all over the world, whether that's passing out tracts, sharing your testimony, having Bible studies in your house, whatever it is, share that good news of Jesus with a passion and let your faith demonstrate, like that statue, like that monument. Let your faith demonstrate to the world how Christian morality Christian law, Christian education, and Christian liberty can make life better for everyone. We were created to be free. That's what we're designed for. So let's live in the freedom of Christ and show the rest of the world what true freedom is all about. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are willing to set us free. We don't deserve it. We've done so many crimes against your kingdom, and we deserve to be cast out. We deserve to be killed and... and And instead, you offered us a pardon. You offered us forgiveness and freedom. You offered to not only do that, but to make us your children and to live inside of us. God, help us to recognize the value of that, the importance of that. And not just to be transformed ourselves, but to work together to transform the world around us. Lord, we trust in your grace, in your mercy, in your power, and in your love. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.